Welcome to Dr. Suzanne Howard's audio play. Thank you for downloading and I pray you are truly blessed. To get more information on Dr. Suzanne Howard's ministry, feel free to visit www.suzannemhoward.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. All right, many of you have probably heard of this, but I want to just bring a short component in. And if I get enough requests, I'll add that to a piece of our EI 30-day um, sessions and uh, teach you more on it. Or when you sign up for your one-on-one -on -one with me or my coaches, we can also take you through that as well. Good evening, Alicia. You should um, be getting your book order very soon. Like tomorrow, today, you should have it. Um, how many of y'all have heard of an attachment style? We all have an attachment style. <coughs> how many have heard of that term before? <laughs> Hello, Darnell. Good. Attachment style. Good. Well, we all have an attachment style and an attachment style is how, <coughs> is how we learned to attach in our childhood. Attachment style. Can someone type it on the screen? Attachment style is how we learned as children to attach intimacy, trust, um, anxiety, um, were your parents um, more ignoring or avoiding of you? Were they more dismissive or aggressive with you? Did they shoo you away as if you were a bother? Did their face light up when you walked in the room or was there frustration and disgust? Maybe not over you, over the life that maybe was just overtaken them, but you were an addition to what they could not handle. So emotionally, how they responded to you, either by perception or by fact, it's now how you attach. And it shows up in your relationships. How you attach shows up in your relationships today and it came from our childhood. It's called attachment style. It's how we learned to attach. So briefly, I'll hit it. And again, if there's anyone that wants to know more about it, um, I, would, I could do some lives on it. I can do some one-on-one -on -one with you on it. But here's the gist. There are those that attach securely. Can somebody put securely? Like a secure person, securely attached. That's a secure attachment style. And that's basically, I don't really want to say it this way, but it's basically for the parents who got, okay, I'll say it this way. That's a secure attachment style is formed basically from parents who got more right than wrong. <laughs> they got more right than wrong. And it's tough, as we all know, either as children or now as parents, we know it's tough. So I say it that way to say that not too many of us are securely attached. Some of us have learned to attach better as we had gotten older and did our own 
um, our own therapeutic work and learned more on the skill of EI. So we were able to progress from dysfunction to a functioning level of attachments in our life. So there's the secure attachment style. The second one that I want to bring for the note tonight is avoidantly attached. Avoid, avoidantly attached. Can someone begin to put that on the screen? We've got a few Facebook pages, a YouTube page. Avoidantly attached. And how you attach is how you perceived or was treated emotionally by the parent or person who raised you avoidantly. So if you felt that you were uh, dismissed, you probably felt that you were avoided. And now your style of attachment, and when I say relationships, yes, I do mean domestic, but I also mean with uh, friends, with bosses, with leadership. Yeah. And then there's the ambivalent ambivalent attached ambivalent I'm going to give you a better word later but for tonight I want y'all to have the formatics of it a m b i v a l e n t thank you ebony she put it up ambivalent attached and then through some studies over the last few years there's another one that has come up through psychological research and it's called disorganized attached. Disorganized attached. And I wanna get through this tonight if I can. Um, those in Bible study are not gonna be happy that we did this because they're gonna want this, but they'll get a replay. So in these attachment styles, they result from how we perceived relationship with the first people in our lives. I like to call them our Adam and our Eve, not our husband, not our wife, our parents, how we attach. So let me just read this to you first. There are patterns that are consistent in maternal behavior that produce relatively reliable responses in infants and called these children either insecurely attached securely attached, avoidantly, ambivalently attached, and even disorganized attachments, which results, the disorganized attachments, results from physical abuse and extreme neglect. These categories aren't the result of hard wiring. This is not how we are hardwired, thank God, but of experiences in our childhood, and they influence our development in very profound and lasting ways. Let me give you a little example. The securely attached child has his or her needs reliably and regularly answered. This child is comforted when they're afraid, held when they feel lonely, fed when they're hungry, soothed when they're overtired, given space, when they need to calm down and feel safe enough to explore a room away from her mother's side or his mother's side. This child seeks proximity when they need it. But as they get older, they also become much more confident in themselves. Their mother 
is attuned to her child and the child is in turn attuned and will become attuned to the changes in life, especially as a child regarding their mother's expressions and gestures. Children are always looking to see how we receive them, how we look at them, what is our response to them, what is our response to that F, what is our response to that A. Have you ever noticed how children almost look as though they're looking through you? Uh, sometimes it can be overwhelming because every time a child wants to show you something, it's look, look, look. You're like, I don't need to look. You're my second kid. You're my sixth kid. Um, I've been this way before. I know what you're going to show me. Go ahead and express yourself. They want you to look, look, look. They can tell when you are frustrated with that look. The problem is, is they think you're frustrated with them. Or when they say, um, can you help me with this homework and you can't do the homework and you're yelling at them, maybe called them a name or uh, told them that you're not able to help them, even though you're upset more with the fact that you cannot help your child, they perceive it as they have an issue, they could be stupid, they are dumb, or I frustrate my mom. I bring frustration to my dad. So even when we are triggered by certain objects that our children may be doing or events and situations, they don't take it as we're upset that we can't help them with the homework because we don't understand it, or we're not really disgusted with them, with this grade they got. We are really down on ourselves that where did we fail that our child is getting grades like this? They take it as a perceived, um, um, what's the word I want to use? Part of who they are. It's us that 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 we are not pleasing them and um, they're frustrated with me and um, they're disgusted with me and they don't want to look at the things I want them to look at. They always internalize it. It's, it's also known as um, being universal. Children are universal. Everything that goes on good and everything that goes on not good, they think is because of something they did or did not do. So children are known to be universal. So even with us now as adults, we have gained an attachment style in life that affects our EI. And I wanted to bring that tonight because I want some people to understand that your EI may seem to you as just being way off or so different than the other people you're around or other than the comments that they're posting, but it could be affected by your attachment style. So this is the secure attachment style, the avoidant and ambivalent attachments. Those are, you'll hear those more as avoidant and anxiety. Okay. Their attachment style is the baby's way of dealing with the mother who is either never emotionally present or attentive or sometimes there and sometimes not. So do you see how the child comes up? They avoid it. They're not really um, looking for too much attention, um, too much touch. You know, we'll go into that more if you all request it. But they have produced this attachment style by being raised by especially the, the maternal, the mother, who is sometimes there, sometimes not, but never in the right balance. Rather than experience stress every time her mother doesn't respond to her, 
or over responds to her, this child distances themselves by either avoiding contact, especially with the parent, which is the avoidant side, or responds ambivalently because his or her mother's responses have in the past been unreliable. So if you were raised by an emotionally unreliable parent, this is probably your attachment style. And there's actually an assessment I can give you, but again, we can do that after if you want to go in further with this one-on-one. So this is how our attachment styles form. They form for how our relationship was with our parents. And it's formed immediately, immediately. The babies, every child's view of the world comes from their mother. If the baby is responded to regularly and consistently, the child begins to understand the world as a fundamentally reliable place. But when she can't or he can't count on love and security and responsiveness, it forms this other type of attachment style. As the child grows, what their mother says about them becomes the foundation of their sense of self self. But if he or she needs are ignored or unmet, the interactions with mother will diminish the person and it will affect them when they get older, especially in relationships. So your mother's words that were said to you, whether supportive and caring or hurtful and critical are internalized as truths and every single one of us about ourselves and how connections between humans work. Because these mental models form unconscious patterns that motivate and direct a child's behavior in childhood and later, they cannot be altered without first recognizing them and bringing them to the surface of our consciousness. This is why the wounds of childhood are so difficult to repair and why healing from them is complicated. It's very complicated. Um, at some point, I'll go through the other ones deeper. Um, maybe even tomorrow, we'll just post them up for you guys. But the secure attachment style the um, adults has a positive view of themselves and of others. They have strong feelings of self-worth and they are comfortable expressing closeness. They enjoy knowing others and being known. And they feel good when they are connected in love or friendship with others. They're good at identifying their feelings. You see their EI level? They come out the gate with a better EI level, EI level, because of being securely attached in their childhood. They're good at identifying their feelings accurately and manage negative emotion well. They are flexible in their responses and have a variety of coping mechanisms at their disposal. They are resilient and can handle setbacks, large and small, in life. This is from childhood and how it affects their emotional intelligence. And then there's the anxious preoccupied. That's the ambivalent one we were talking about. Um, these are sons and daughters who are anxious. 
ambivalent in childhood and their behaviors carry forward. Even though they may be high achieving, they have deep wells of self-doubt and low self-esteem. They seek validation from relationships because they have a positive view of others, but they are also volatile, clingy, and then demanding and reactive in turns. They are on a constant state of high alert, searching for signs, listen, searching for signs that the people they're intimate with, whether lovers or friends, will leave or reject them and can be triggered by the smallest of slights as a result. Generally, these men or women are always in one relationship or another, characterized by swings in behavior, highs and lows. Not surprisingly, these sons and daughters often have trouble holding on to lasting friendships as well with friends of the same sex, the anxious preoccupied. Let's talk about the dismissive avoidant the dismissive avoidant. These sons and daughters think well of themselves, but they have a low opinion of others, which Bartholomew, a, a great psychologist, attributes to coping mechanisms adopted during a childhood with the rejecting mother. On a conscious level, they're likely to consider themselves independent and self-contained and not in need of intimate relationships for sustenance in life. They may come across as aloof or arrogant to others, as well as fiercely independent. Even though avoidance have relationships, they remain shallow because these sons and daughters deep down don't want close connections or intimacy. Their romantic relationships remain superficial these men or women look as though they are involved, but they always maintain their emotional distance from the supposed objects of their affection. In a similar way, their friendships tend to be organized around shared interests or hobbies rather than confidences, closeness, and disclosures. Unlike the anxious, preoccupied sons and daughters whose volatility guarantees conflicts, these sons and daughters steer away from conflicts, perhaps because they might reveal their true vulnerability. Let's talk last about the fearful avoidant. The fearful avoidant. This is the terms I wanted to break it down more in lay terms for everyone. So stick with these that I used at this second portion. The dominant word here is fear. Someone put fear. Even though these daughters actually crave, daughters or sons, actually crave intimacy. They don't trust anyone enough to let them get close. The experiences of childhood have taught these sons and daughters that people are uncaring and unavailable and that they themselves are unlovable as well. All of this plays out close to the surface since these men and women come across as intensely vulnerable, openly worried, insecure, and self-conscious. All three of these insecure styles can be seen as defensive postures 
adopted in childhood in an effort to both self-protect and reduce stress from maternal interactions. Think about that. Think about that. How happy we are largely depends on how well or badly we handle stress and the emotions that accompany them. Did you hear that? How happy we are today largely depends on how well or badly we handle stress and the emotions that accompany them. That's where our happiness lies. This is why EI is important. I'm going to read it one more time. How happy we are largely depends on how well or badly we handle stress. Remember we talked about stress management last night? And the emotions that accompany them. If you want to get a handle on your life and have a largely happier life than you have now, EI is one of the most important things you can tap into and master in this season of your life. It's how we handle stress and the emotions that accompany it. And much of the unloved child, that's the child that felt emotionally unattuned by one parent or the other, how we handle stress and emotions that accompany it. And much of the unloved child's unhappiness in their adulthood has to do with their difficulty in handling negative feelings. They don't know what to do with negative feelings. So they, they show up and manifest through their attachment style. This son or daughter has trouble sustaining happiness because it's so easily interrupted. Unless stress, I mean, under stress, the secure male or female brings up mental representations and conscious thoughts of emotional support and positive experience that help them manage negative emotions in the moment. They have a good history with it, their childhood. They are inclined to look forward and to realize that resolutions to their problems can exist. They're able to get angry without getting hostile and even in the midst of an argument is able to shift their thoughts to how to repair a rift. In response to stress, the anxiously attached child, adult now, in contrast, is more likely to remember dispiriting or painful experiences as well as those times that they needed help but only encountered rejection in their childhood. These memories arouse more anxiety, which in turn amps up whatever stress he or she is feeling, effectively flooding you with negative emotions. Unable to process them, you'll end up replaying those bad moments on an endless loop, making you feel hopeless and powerless. Their so-called coping mechanisms only serve to exaggerate the distress in your current adult problem. While you may turn to others for support, you are too anxious to listen and likely as not will 
feel abandoned or unsupported. Your neediness is enormous and likely to get demanding and then angry that your needs aren't being met by your partner or friends. Additionally, the anxiety that you experience from your attachment style prevents you from drawing on positive connections when you need to keep them in mind. Are y'all with me? I don't see y'all typing anything tonight. Did I, did I flatline the whole group tonight? Where are we at? 74 of you on, the numbers are still low, but did I flatline you tonight? If your attachment style is avoidant, hmm, you turn inward and off, denying the stress you're feeling and effectively walling off emotions. Of course, denying feelings is very different from recognizing and coping with them. By cutting off access to all of your emotions, the avoidant adult effectively blocks all the positive emotions and experiences that actually would help you manage your stress. By isolating yourself in this way, the avoidant attached person prolongs their emotional turmoil with no way out, unable to assess your own positive thoughts and to reach out to others for support. In many ways, this is the worst of all possible worlds. Isn't that something? Good, I'm glad to see y'all listening. Good, I want you to reflect because I want you to understand the difference between your EI and someone else's EI has to do with our childhood. It has a lot to do with our childhood because one, we weren't taught it, but more importantly, what was acted out and reenacted in our life was probably dysfunctional to say the least. And now we're here today saying, how did I get like this? We talked about that on day one, right? Day one and day two. Why am I here? How did I get here? And now how do I get out? Let me explain to those on the dating scene or even to those who maybe had a tough time in dating. Let me explain to you tonight how important it would be for you to get this EI together. Let me see if I can pull it up for you while we're on this topic. <clears throat> Before we get back to our notes. It would help if I could spell. Let's see, I'm going to get back there for you. Are y'all enjoying this? Do you see how much of a difference it makes? Do you see how much better as a parent today you can be? What is going on? Or as even as a grandparent, you can be. If we were only taught this stuff early on, to know that how we respond when they walk in a room makes a big difference to a child. When they want us to look and we don't want to look, how important all those things are to a child. 
Hang in there with me. I just want to take us to one other place here. And I think I would probably give you enough to go back and replay and take your notes. Good. I want to talk about a mental model for an example. All right. So let's first talk about emotional intelligence and real life. Emotional intelligence and real life. All right, let's talk about it. People who are high in emotional intelligence, the securely attached person, can y'all make the connection now? So someone high in emotional intelligence usually got there from childhood because they had a securely attached relationship growing up. So I'll read it again. People who are high in emotional intelligence are securely attached and are able to act in ways the rest of us might not. Say you've just met someone a very charming person to you because you're the rest of us. We're not high in our EI. We meet someone, we're going to consider their, them charming. Now, let me explain the charming person. Say you've met someone, a very charming person who's well turned out, a successful professional, a bit quiet, but fun to talk to and attractive in a low key way. He or she is not overtly pushy or preening either. You see them a few times, yet afterward, when you think about them, you can't quite put your finger on why you don't have a good feeling about them. You just don't. It could equally be a man or a woman in this scenario. The emotionally intelligent person tries to identify that feeling. They don't ignore it. They don't jump headfirst into this charm. They try First of all, they, they are self-aware enough to know something's not right with them. And they are securely attached, so they don't doubt themselves as much. They don't um, um, have insecurities or lack of trust with themselves. So they're feeling something that they cannot identify, but yet they're taking the time to try to figure out what it is. So they throw, go through some scenarios like this. The emotionally intelligent person tries to identify that feeling. Did, did he or she seem insecure because they seemed to smile easily? Or was it the way they kept redirecting the conversation every time you brought up a new topic? Or was it their tendency to talk over you? Can't figure it out. You can't come up with an answer quite yet. But the next time you meet for dinner, you're paying closer attention to this person because you're dating and your time is important. Your soul is important. Your heart is important. And when you understand that the amount of time you invest in someone, it takes double that to get out of it. These are the things, the vettings that you will use EI for in your dating process. Did he seem sincere because he smiled or was he insecure? He kept, I noticed he kept redirecting the conversation every time I brought up a new topic or uh, maybe she had a tendency to talk over you. You can't come up with the answer quite yet, but the next time you meet for dinner, you're paying closer attention. You notice that he or she picked out the restaurant where they are a regular. You sit down at the table you order a glass of your favorite, whatever. There's exchange of smiles. And all of a sudden you want to figure out what you want. And all of a sudden now they interject and 
They cut off your light banter of conversation and they tell you what you should order. And it wasn't just with, I want you to try this. It's pushing what it is that you should get. And then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Your EI skill raises to the top and you are able to identify what it is is so familiar in this relationship. And guess what it is? It comes to you that this person is scripting and directing the conversation. They insist you order a specialty that's not even on the menu and that seals it for you. And you're out of there where if you did not have a functional level of emotional intelligence, you might've spent years, if not trying to figure this person out or just ignoring it to be seduced by their charm, not realizing that what I've described is meeting and getting to know a covert narcissist. And this is why it's preached all over social media. This is why we have so many relationships that break up or end in divorce, or um, we spend years with people and there's never uh, any mounting of any love or any relationship because you have not even been trained to pick up emotionally on a covert narcissist. If you had the proper level of emotional intelligence, some of us, if we were younger, right? And you were able to pick up on that through your emotional intelligence, you would have been able to pick up by the second or third date that you are dating a covert or a narcissist. But if your EI is not at a functioning level, you will be taken in by the charm. You will be taken in by the fact that they order for you. You'll be taken in that they always have to pick out your clothes for you. And they're not picking out your clothes because they like to dress you. They're showing you that you need them to look good because you don't know how to dress yourself. But you will never notice those things. It takes years to notice those patterns if you have not gotten a very sufficient level of emotional intelligence. The truth is that someone less adept would probably just not miss the warning signs, but actually misread them as positive with thoughts like how skilled he or she is at keeping a conversation going, how thoughtful he or she is to order for me all the time, how responsive he is to everything that I say. This is especially true if your childhood experiences have made you detach from your feelings or have made you distrustful of your own feelings. Emotional intelligence helps inform many decisions and choices beyond relationships and the occasional spotting of a narcissist, of course. The good news is, once again, I've got to end with good news, is that emotional intelligence is a skill set that can be and should be worked on and improved. First, though, you need to examine your own faculty at both labeling and managing your emotions. Let me see some thoughts. Come on, Thomasina. Let me see some thoughts. Do you think you would actually be able to recognize a narcissist on a first or second date? Right. 
covert narcissist is an undercover narcissist? Good question. Covert, it means it's hidden. It's not as blunt or as flagrant as an average someone who would be a narcissist. Thank you, Kamisha. She's being honest. Yep. Renee said she'd have to be around them more. Yeah. This is why EI is important. Now I would. I wish I'd known this 20 years ago. Somebody dropped the mic. EI has a lot to do with our childhood. Very good connection tonight. Do you ever watch those movies or those Dateline shows that shows how many people dated people and it was too late? They had already let them in their home or had already had a tragic end to their life because they could not recognize this narcissist or covert narcissist until it was too late, until they had let them in their home, let them around their children, invited them in, maybe gave them keys maybe sharing dwelling places, maybe even marriage. As single people, you cannot afford this type of time. You cannot. And this is why emotional intelligence is so important. And it's important right from the beginning. And it comes out from, as we talked about, <coughs> it starts in our childhood. People with high emotional intelligence are good at labeling their emotions. Distinguishing discomfort from embarrassment, anger from fear, <coughs> frustration from resentment, neediness, anxiety, and the likes. You understand that? If your EI is low, you will have much more trouble both regulating your emotions and benefiting from them. I want you to type that up. If your EI is low, you will have trouble, trouble regulating and trouble benefiting. Trouble regulating and trouble benefiting. The truth is that the more clarity you have about what you're feeling could really save your life. In any given moment, the better you'll be at not just managing your life situations, but also deciding on your future actions. Powerful, powerful, single people. I hope you learned something about this. Maybe married people, maybe someone who's married a narcissist and neither are aware that they are narcissists. Remember, the narcissist isn't just someone that we call a monster. They were cute, innocent, adorable little children that someone's abuse and trauma to them formed this narcissist in them. I want you to remember this as your takeaway tonight. Remember that what we learn in childhood about relationships, how people connect and act, not only gets internalized in us, but also gets generalized into our worldview. If you grow up believing that
that people are generally responsive and thoughtful and that you are deserving of respect and likable, your emotional responses to challenging situations and how people's motives are going to be very different than if you've grown up thinking that people aren't trustworthy and that they're likely to take advantage of you. I hope that this was as black as white as, as, as it could be broken down in layman's terms to you tonight. Let me end on this additional note on attachment styles. While the anxious preoccupied individual desperately wants connection, intimacy and relationship, deep down their internal models don't permit to ever let their guard down fully. They learned to self-protect in childhood. So in adulthood, they are like a sailor who goes onto the water on a perfectly clear and cloudless day, but can't enjoy themselves because they're constantly scanning the horizon for storm clouds. That's the anxious daughter or son who has now grown up and this is what they do in every relationship they have, whether it's with a colleague at work or the next door neighbor, with a friend or with a lover. They are, are their needs, constant reassurance, but they're highly volatile. And it's estimated, listen, it's estimated that roughly 15 to 20% of us are anxiously attached. And these are unconscious processes. Can someone please type that for me? Unconscious processes. You did not even know you had an attachment style. If you heard the word before or you knew that you had an attachment style, the processes of each of our attachment styles work systematically, mechanically. You don't need to do a thing. A trigger can set them off. I want everyone to go back and replay tonight and take notes on this because this is, I gave a great big nugget tonight that's usually saved for sessions. These are unconscious processes so that the woman or man experiencing these feelings and thoughts believes they are acting reasonably and thinking things through when in fact they are not. The truth is, that their behavior is being triggered automatically. And unless they get ahead on the dynamic, they'll continue to put stress into every relationship, often to the breaking point. Anxious people are likely to be triggered when things don't go according to the plan they had in mind. If I had time to repeat that. Their anxiety makes them inflexible. So when there's a discrepancy between how they imagine things unfolding and what exactly happens, they become emotionally reactive, evoking an outsized response. Anxious people are also prone to catastrophizing not just imagining the worst possibility, but also blowing things up to be the worst possibility, which then evokes a cascade of emotion. 
That's it. I'm going to end there because that's a lot I gave y'all tonight. And I hope you can process it. You're going to need to journal it, but I truly recommend that you go back. That's right. Okay. Thomasina wants to do some breathing. Let's do some breathing, everyone. Okay. On the count of three, we're going to breathe in our nose. We're going to hold it a second. And then we're going to breathe out our mouths. I can't even speak anymore. One, two, three. Breathe. Breathe out. That was a lot. Because if you're in that situation now, you need help. Let's breathe in our nose again. Breathe out our mouth. God, I pray for each person under the sound of my voice that is listening to this teaching and this instruction on tonight. I pray for soundness of mind. I pray for healing of their heart. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that knows no distance and knows no time that can go all the way back to our childhood and begin to do this great work inside of us. I thank you for aligning us with instruction and correction and direction tonight that we may sit at this table and eat or we may sit at this table and observe. But I pray that this information become more than information but that it becomes transformation in each and every life of the hearer. I pray for each person to have peace tonight. I pray for great note-taking. And I pray that as we continue to develop the skill set of EI, that our relationships will manifest with great improvements and that our relationships will be full of love and we will celebrate each other instead of tolerating each other. I pray for each person under the sound of my voice from the crown of their heads to the sole of their feet that they be in peace. Come on, let's prophesy. I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Dr. Suzanne Howard is happy to have shared this time with you. To get more information on solutions and personal development, coaching and counseling of the soul, go to www.suzannemhoward.com. You can also find her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Periscope. Thank you for tuning in with us.